Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Agnes London podcast. This week I'm chatting to Henry London founder Hetty. In this episode, Hetty shares with us her experience of fabric sourcing as a small business, the process of making handwoven cottons and using a London-based production team. I hope you enjoy the episode and find it interesting. Great to have you with me on the podcast, Hetty. Thank you for coming on. Hello. Hi. <laughs> thank you for having me. You're welcome. So you run Henry London, which is, in fact, actually, I will let you explain what Henry yeah. London is. Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, I run Henry London um, and we have a little shop here on the Hackney Road. We sell women's clothing um, and we design it um, to be timeless um, clothes that you can wear for years and years and we make it as sustainably as possible um, so we source uh, 100% organic cotton some of this is hand woven um, which I can go into a bit more later some of it is machine woven so we kind of um, re- look really closely at our materials that we're working with um, and then we manufacture very closely to us so we, we're, there, we're just down the road uh, 20 minutes um, down the road is our factory so we've got the local production, we've got sustainable fibres side of it, and um, we do direct-to-consumer approach to retail. So we've got our shop and we sell online as well. So um, why sustainable fashion? What got you started going down that route rather than just normal fashion? Yeah, so when I was um, starting to develop Henry, um, I started learning about the organic cotton um, about positive sourcing and it was kind of like a trigger word to begin with so I knew organic sounded better than conventional cotton and researching into that kind of helps me to sort of weigh up the pros and cons um, and decide to sort of stick with organic cotton. Um, it, I guess it was visiting India which really sort of I, I learned a huge amount more and I, I sort of really embedded my values in the sustainable side of sourcing. Um, I was really lucky to meet Kishore, who's a fabric agent of mine. Um, I met him as I was developing the brand just by chance. And he's um, a 70 plus year old activist here in London. He is completely enthusiastic about introducing organic cotton and what I suppose the main thing is Cardi, which is hand-spun, hand-woven fabric from India to the young British market. Happened to meet him and he's completely helped my journey in learning about the origins of this fabric and then also connecting me to the suppliers, connecting me to people who literally all, all they want to do is have a conversation. So there are the suppliers, there's the sort of people who are doing research, just general activists and going out to India just completely opened my eyes and I got I was so amazed by what how much I learned on that trip visiting suppliers and learning um and that really just kind of helped to embed sustainability as a proper value for Henry and for myself as well before that it had been a bit more disconnected um knowing that it was the right thing to do knowing that if I was starting a brand this has surely got to be right but actually um visiting the you know the supply chain and the starting point of those of the fabrics was kind of massively eye-opening so helpful I think if a designer can do that then they absolutely should um, I think it's really important to know what you're working with, mm-hmm. the, the fabric that you're making something out of. If you don't know where that comes from, it's just something's not right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a small designer or like a, a brand just starting out, did you find it quite difficult to get to arrange that trip to go over to India? Like, did you did you already know where you were going and what you were looking for? Um, it was really difficult, actually. Um so I, at the time, I was working with Sarika, who was my first employee, but before that, my first intern. And she, we were kind of planning the trip together um, with the help of Kishore and Andy um, from Fresh Eyes Travel. So they kind of, they helped us put together this trip and planning it here in London, it just didn't make any sense. We were looking at a map, the train times, it was so confusing, um, not knowing the supplies that we we're going to visit because mm. I'd, I'd had fabrics 
I think by that point I was working with fabrics. Do you know what? I think actually before then I wasn't even, I hadn't even started sourcing those fabrics. Um, so it was, it was kind of, you couldn't really, I couldn't really place those suppliers with what they meant to the business because I hadn't started using those fabrics. These were all quite new, um, new people to be visiting. So it was quite, it was really hard to pull together a trip, an itinerary. Um, but we, and we had a huge amount of help with that. And actually, um, Keyshore with, um, with Cardi CIC, which is the, his organization, they are running these tours now. So, so designers interested in this or anyone who's interested in sustainable sourcing, um, particularly um, with fabrics, can go out and they will help to organize these kind of trips to suppliers. I mean, we, we spoke to farmers. There's no way that I could have done that on my own, plan to go out, firstly see the suppliers, get myself there, but then arranging the trips to see the actual cotton farmers producing my fabrics. Yeah. Like that's all, yeah, you need the support, you need a support system behind you, I think, to, to uh, and, and it's completely by chance, so lucky to have met Kishore. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, um, I know that it's definitely like when sourcing fabrics and stuff like that, there's only so much you can do by the internet and there's mm. only so much like, it's hard. obviously there's so little information um, and the industry can still be quite like secretive in terms of where stuff is sourced and where it comes from. I know I've contacted companies before and been like, can you tell me where your fabrics come from? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, it's our policy not to. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, mm. starting out, I, I found it so hard to even find suppliers that were producing organic cotton or had certifications. Um, it was really, really hard. I mean, I ended up, so there's a sustainable angle here in London. That's a brilliant showroom they're incredible they've grown a huge amount over the last few years um and the first time i went they were it's quite a small room over in west london you could go and browse the fabrics they had talks on as well and now it's this vast event they do it um i can't remember what the venue's called but it's near hoban that kind of huge event space and it's massive they've got talks all day and there's loads of supplies that you can go to so now there's more it's it is easier to to, to be linked up with them. But I remember I actually also went to um, Copenhagen to the Danish Fashion Institute and they have a fabric store showroom there. That was really helpful. But the, I think those two are my only leads really into, and then meeting Kishore by chance as well, my only leads into finding those fabrics to work with. Um, it's not easy. I think it's get, I think it is getting a lot easier now, um, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't three years ago. Yeah, that's no, that my next question. Then. Yeah. I was going to ask you when you started. Yeah, so that was so I started developing the brand about three and a half years ago, and launched three years ago in September. So just we're, we're just over three years, um, and I so I launched September twenty sixteen, did our first pop up here on the Hackney Road in October twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. So you know this month three years ago. Mm. I came back and did that pop-up two more times after that and then still here today so but I took it permanently and we've been there a year and a half now wow. in the shop that's good yeah what were you doing before you started doing this is your background in fashion and fashion design yeah so I studied at London College of Fashion um so I went straight to uh, uni for, to do with my foundation year and I actually did my foundation year at LCF um, as I, I kind of knew that I wanted to specialise in fashion after A-level, did after A-level um, and then it was in a, I was in a bit of a, you've got to do your foundation year to get that free you've got to do that straight after school and then my, my year was the year if I didn't get into uni they were going to the tuition fees were going to go up to nine grand the following year so it was like a race to get into uni the following year so yeah, I went straight into foundation year, then um, LCF for my degree, which was in fashion design development. Um, so I, that was a four year course. I did the third year as a placement year and I did six months at Richard Nickel here in London and I did six months in uh, New York at Rebecca Taylor. Mm-hmm. And um, the the six months in London at Richard Nichols where I learned 
a huge amount really develops my passion but I mean I, I was interested in pattern cutting anyway I'd been I'd done a few other internships um and it was there that I really I just spent six months entirely working um on pattern cutting with the head pattern cutter with the other interns like working as a team I just I absolutely loved it I mean the first pace and and in that kind of first pace environment, when you're learning as well, and you quite literally don't have any idea what you're doing sometimes, but you've got to you've got to learn pretty quickly. Um, absolutely loved that, and really knew that I wanted that's kind of what I wanted to focus on. Um, and my final year, we, we 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 didn't do a dissertation as such, but it was, I mean, it was a huge body of work that we produced, which was a business plan essentially. Um, along with the final collection. But the business plan was essentially Henry. I never thought that I would actually use that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I haven't looked back on that specific plan because <laughs> I have no idea what's in there. It'd be quite funny to now. But, um, and the logo is completely different and everything. But that's where I thought, I mean, the brand name, I suppose, and, and the idea of, you know, actually what I developed as a business is very different to what I developed in final year. Mm. But the idea was there, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I never thought that was actually going to end up being my path. <laughs> <laughs> did you go straight from uni to um, working on Henry? Or did you work in Ralph in between? So, no. So I graduated and I did a few freelance pattern cutting jobs yeah sorry i don't know why this is turning into a job interview <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no so i yeah I, I worked for av robertson um here in london i worked for j1 here in london um cops in london i did a job a small job for there were sort of random jobs pieced together um yeah for about six months and then other part-time work as well it was all a bit unstable actually I was looking for a full full-time job um it's really hard fashion's really really hard to leave uni and get mm -hmm. a job um as a designer firstly and then in a brand that you would like to work for I mean yeah. um yeah that was really hard so I was trying to hold out for something I was doing random work free, freelance work part-time edges anything and then in the January, so I suppose about six months after I finished uni, um, it was actually my mum who said, look, you did some really beautiful shirts for your fine collection. What have you, what, what's in the background of all this, you know, extra bits and bobs work? You, you developed this brand, you know, something around shirts. Mm -hmm. She said, you, you did them really well. People were really interested in them. Why, why you know, why not just explore that idea? Um, it took me a little while to come around to that, actually. And then it was the whole January, new New year, new me moment. <laughs> and um, I decided that I was going to try and, and do it. So, yeah, it's like tentatively started putting together the ideas um, or just sort of, I don't know, just working out what the brand would be. And I think working for some uh, the brand, um, I did a, a, a fairly long, very, very intense stint at um I won't mention the name um it was really hard work it was absolutely grueling hours and it was the collection was enormous and the actual specific talent of this designer was very very niche and I was thinking why why don't you just do that one thing you're really really good at rather than trying to do everything else around it actually like killing yourself trying to produce this stuff killing all the rest of us as well um and I just thought, what? Yeah, that it'd be cool if if you could have a brand that was just so specific. And at the same time, I read the book Essentialism. I can't remember who wrote it. And that really, really um, had a big effect. Uh, the the book is essentially essentially <laughs> um, about being completely ruthless with what you're spending your time doing, mm. and only doing something if it's going to. 100% develop or benefit yeah. you so in terms of work say no to 90% of the things and only focus on the absolute essence of what you want to yeah. achieve and even sort of narrowing down that essence of what you want to achieve to something so 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 specific and only doing 
every, like anything that relates directly to that anything else is irrelevant even your social tie even like so it's quite an interesting book so that kind of um i was quite ruthless with the time that i spent on henry and i was quite ruthless with my business idea so it was just women's shirts to begin with um mm -hmm. five women's shirts in organic cotton made in london so it was yeah just a case of like what's what's the, what's the least amount i can do to yeah. make the biggest impact no one really focuses on women's shirts as no. a business idea so really. that was my thing that's what kind of narrowed down to yeah um so that was the that was the starting point really yeah i think that kind of idea of essentialism that you were talking about and like doing one thing but doing it really well that really ties back into having a sustainable brand as well like we don't need yeah we don't need more yes we just need yeah. better exactly it really does i mean everything that i produce i try we try not to do too many products we we i mean i only bring in new things every so often um we we restock our best sellers and i'm trying not to add too much extra noise too much stuff like we've got a small range it doesn't need to be you know 20 30 40 garments we've well I suppose we've got about 20 but i think it's like less actually probably got about 15 garments and they are designed really meticulously they're the ones that our customers like we do trial other things we bring things in and out see what sells um but the core collection is like just a good fit and timeless design and i'm not gonna get rid of that next season that's gonna stay for years like the overshirt since we started that's been our best seller and we're doing that in more colors and they're not going to go anywhere because that's i mean it's a bestseller so that would be madness but also it's a design that is still relevant today it'll still be relevant in five ten years i think yeah um i mean you can still buy them now in like vintage shops and secondhand yeah, shops. exactly exactly yeah yeah yeah. so yeah. they've been around forever no exactly um yeah and it's a cut that works so i, I don't need to redesign that and reinvent it and we do it in extra fabrics um but i guess everything i do stems from is this design going to be really comfortable for someone really useful is this is this going to last someone ages um and trying to yeah really perfect that really mm. and not not add too much volume and excess excess noise to the range yeah so having had a design background and working in design companies um like presumably you worked through fashion weeks on your time um on your placement year yeah and probably outside of that was it quite um strange for you to get out of that mindset of an awesome collection a spring collection and kind of work into those february september deadlines yeah yeah i still slip into it um the funny thing is that everyone works a year ahead in fashion. Yeah. I'm literally working within the season. Like, the day ahead. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. Like, it's, it's actually ridiculous. Um, but because a factory, I give them the, the fabric, I'll have those garments in two weeks. Um, so I do need to plan the fabric a little bit ahead. But I don't, yeah, I don't work massively far ahead. So that's that's kind of... I, and I should work a little bit. I should plan a bit further ahead. But it, I suppose I don't get sucked into that. What I do get sucked into is every September and say kind of April time, it's like new season. You know, you want, a, you, and you actually, you do want a bit of a lease of life within your own business. But we we achieve that through photography rather than bringing in whole new collections. Mm. We do add seasonal pieces and we're trying to do little and often runs of production. So rather than, you know, the six monthly or quarter yearly new, um, new season, whole new collections, we, we top up, we get stock every week or two from our factory. And that's not a lot. We, we get very, very small amounts, but it's just drip feeding the shop and the business. Um, and it's that, it's still that idea that the whole collection should be able to be worn all year round. Like this, yeah, we don't need to get rid of things and refresh things that's what we're trying not to do anyway but yeah yeah that's really good um I think that mindset can be quite hard to get out of when you've been kind of yeah. your education in the fashion industry yeah has been in that and that's what everyone I mean everyone loves it Every, like customers 
I don't find so much my customers, but generally speaking, people love going to shops and seeing a whole new store and like feeling like, oh, it's the start of summer or start of autumn. Like, what am I going to buy this? Autumn? It's quite a weird mindset because I don't really buy clothes anymore. Uh, I do, I do make clothes, but every so yeah. often, if I if I need something, I'm maybe go to a charity shop, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I can't really relate to that feeling anymore. Um, so you, I suppose it's usually because I'm from a business perspective that new season is you trying to put new thing or like trying to put new imagery out there trying mm. to freshen up the store in a way yeah um I guess with imagery to kind to try and keep in with that mm. seasonal excitement yeah definitely and I know you said that um fashion most of the fashion world works a year in advance but I'm not sure that that's really that mm. that true anymore I think they work they're getting yeah. faster and faster oh yeah no, that's industry. true yeah, yeah yeah i suppose the luxury brands or like the the traditional kind of yeah. luxury brands um but anyone that can go super fast will yeah. do that but and also luxury brands face the challenge of it they're putting it out there and it being ripped off by next yeah so don't they yeah exactly well i suppose that also feeds into the i mean yeah the idea of trends I guess unique design that is yeah you don't want that to be ripped off but trends mm. that's not something that we buy into I'm not looking to kind of jump on the back of any cool trends yeah in terms of yeah the clothes that we're designing mm. so a lot of people would say sustainability is a trend and a lot of people have said that to yeah, me and I'm like yeah. this conversation's over um, <laughs> but how how do you feel about that do you get that a lot um I don't think so with my customers they're interested in talking about it more so when I opened it three years ago it wasn't really you know I wasn't having as many conversations with customers as we are now about sustainability um I don't think our customers think it's a trend I think our customers are genuinely um they're genuinely concerned they they're kind of really looking to buy into sustainable they, they, they are trying to be conscious in all areas of their life and, and fashion's one of them mm-hmm. um i haven't had any negative touch wood haven't had any negative um comments about sustainability i think could be, we are doing it genuinely we're not yeah i'm not we're not doing it half-heartedly we're sourcing uh, organic cotton we're sourcing handwoven fabrics that haven't been made using electricity they're completely handwoven um we're making locally that isn't just to say that we can do that that's that's entirely the you know the ethos of the whole brand yeah it adds um a lot of cost to the product it, our products are much more expensive than the high street who might go with greenwashing also might be doing things responsibly but um ours are yeah our product has a lot of integrity and that's reflected in the pricing and in the stories that we're telling our customers i hope um and i don't i yeah i wouldn't i don't really know i'm not really sure about um brands who have sort of been targeted to say that they're greenwashing or jumping on the back of Mm. trends it, it's really it's a sad thing that I, I know there'll be ones out there yeah. i'm just not quite aware of who it is but it's a crazy thing now's not the time to be doing things in a pretend uh way we've we've completely especially if you're starting a new brand there's absolutely no excuse to not do it in a sustainable and responsible way mm. um yeah when you're starting from scratch you've got so much, you're building something new yeah you're, if you've got a business going already the sustainable options probably aren't that much more expensive you've just got to do some research make those changes which is really hard when you're running a business yeah a small business but um yeah yeah i don't know i like to think people are slowly waking up and hopefully starting to make good changes i'm not sure yeah well, i think hopefully there are there are definitely people out there that are changing their habits and that's a really great sign yeah um so i wonder if you could tell us explain to us a little bit more about like the difference between hand woven cotton and what that actually means because it's something we mm. see around a lot but yeah what is it 
So it originates from India. Uh, and, well, I suppose it's actually the, the history of it will be global. I think that like textiles came from Egypt and all sorts. But the, the fabric I work with is from India. There's a huge hand weaving industry, I suppose, in India. Um, and the sort of resurgence of of hand weaving was led by Gandhi as a way of taking back the textile trade from the British who had brought it back to the UK, um, to the mills here. So, you know, weaving was massive here. We essentially brought the cotton resources from India back here. We wove the cloth and then sold it back to India. Um, so it was one of Gandhi's sort of ways of yeah leading his uprising um against the british mm. and he wanted to encourage indian people to spin and weave the cloth on their own backs so khadi is in its purest form is hand spun and hand woven fabric so hand spinning traditionally would have been done on a spool literally with your two hands um and sort of spinning it in a in a motion that stretches out the fibers and 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 twists it at the same time to create yeah. yarn um now hand weaving is done on a, a small machine uh but it's hand powered so yeah. there's someone literally turning a wheel um and that's what hand spinning is today um the fabric that i use is machine spun and hand woven so machine spinning is just a, 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 a sort of a spinning machine and that's powered by electricity some of the really modern ones are powered by solar which is great because then this whole fabric is created not from um any electrical sources yeah but um most of them i think are, are at the moment are still powered by electricity but that but they can be used in people's homes so a lot of spinners um will be based in little villages there'll be clusters of um, villages for spinning and weaving in rural areas of India. So one, so a few villages might have a few different spinning machines. Perhaps some of the women share them. Um, some of them save up so they can buy a spinning machine. They can have it in their own house. They have a source of income if they can spin their own, you know, yarn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's and then that that yarn is used to sort of be threaded up on the hand looms. Um, and these are also quite often, well, the ones that I work with also in, in their homes. So you'll get a family of weavers who maybe have one loom, maybe have two, three, four, five looms, and they're highly skilled. They work together as a family. The women quite often work with the sort of various processes of threading up the looms and, and dispatching the yarn onto these I can't really describe it, but women do less of the weaving work, so mm. more of the preparation work. And it generally tends to be the men who do the weaving. But this is all completely like wooden looms. Uh, it takes hours and hours to weave, you know, two meters. Yeah. Um, and it's just absolutely beautiful. You can see it's woven by hand. Um, it hasn't taken any electricity. It's really highly skilled labor. Um, they get a fair wage if you work with you know suppliers yeah. pay a fair wage to their weavers um it's just a really positive it's, yeah it's high employment it's high skill it means these people don't need to move to the big cities and the big towns to work in factories they can earn a living in the villages so kind of keeping those rural communities thriving um within with fabric production um so it's I, it was absolutely fascinating going out and visiting these places um and you're seeing the time that goes into producing the fabric. Mm. I mean, we, we visited the farmers as well in the fields. We saw the the ginning process, um, spinning, weaving, natural dyeing. It's such a long process to yeah. get, say, two meters of fabric that you can make a shirt out of. That the what's gone into that is quite amazing, and he's still not buying it for a huge amount. They still, but we're buying wool at the moment, and wool's expensive. Cotton is still, even when it's ethically and sustainably sourced, 
it's not the most expensive thing in the world. And I don't think people really realise what goes into that kind of fabric making. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of the fabrics on the high street, I don't even know. I mean, it's essentially plastic. Yeah. It's, um, and woven on a mass industrial scale. Um, the, yeah, the man-made fibres and a, a lot of the natural fibres as well. But um, yeah, I don't... The, what, like the, the resources that go into that are just unbelievable and I think if people realise so the man made ones it's essentially oil it's it's like you're wearing you know oil oil. you're wearing plastic you're, it, it's not these aren't positive uh, materials that this yeah. fabrics are made from even the companies that bring in ranges made from recycled polyester or recycled plastic is you're still buying a plastic item mm, you know, yeah they're still gonna shed fibers in the wash and it's still yeah. gonna have an end of life whereas organic cotton is much easier to kind of get rid of at the end of life isn't it it is yeah so natural fibers obviously biodegradable um and they're long lasting and they're they're, com- they're really nice to wear so i think it's, I, I i haven't bought anything made from a man-made fibre for years and I remember wearing them and feeling even sweaty and like not not comfortable I literally only wear cotton now and it's it's just a beautiful thing to wear um so it's long lasting in the sense that you're you know you're probably going to wear it a lot longer but then yeah it will it will decompose um and it's easy it's easy to recycle if it's um not a blend so Mm. I I don't work with blends so in terms of trimmings like buttons and threads and things like that, you use all um, natural materials as well. Yeah, yeah. So our um, our buttons are wood, and we have some metal ones as well, and we have some corrosive. Um, I do believe we've got a couple of plastic ones on a handful of jackets. Um, but most vast majority of them are natural and it just it it adds a nice feel to the garment I think it just aesthetically it looks really lovely we saw some from a family run business um, in Portugal and I actually visited them um, when I was out there and yeah it's just yeah it's a nice place to source from and they're very they're very beautifully made um and then in terms of threads, we go with our factory's recommendations. Um, I do think our factory uses a poly cotton because uh, it's stronger. Um, and perhaps fully cotton is something we might look into in the future. Um, but developing a what, sort of the millions of things thinking about developing the the business the thread mm. i hadn't hadn't quite got high up there yet. on the list yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough so talking about your factory um so you'd been to india you'd found all these lovely fabrics you'd learned a lot about the process was finding a local london-based factory um like really important to you or did it just so happen that you found one and it worked out um, it was actually really important to me. Um, when I started, um, I really liked this idea of really contemporary women's shirts made in a really traditional way here in London. I mean, a, a shirt has a lot of, a huge amount of complex details. Like it takes, I, I teach shirt making workshops in my studio. It takes a beginner to uh, a full weekend to make a shirt from start to finish and we go at a pretty good pace like it's it's a really long process um there's a lot of technical details and i suppose it's not tailoring but it's it's got that feel to it Mm -hmm. and i really like that idea of traditional london tailoring london shirt making savile row quite inspired by that approach to making um but then bringing it back into like a cool women's brand. Um, so yeah, I did do a lot of research into factories here. I found a huge sort of array of options. And the factory I work with is a fourth generation factory. His father, grandfather, great-grandfather all ran the factory and now it's it's him. And he employs now 15 people. He's seen the industry 
boom he's seen it crash he's crashed with it he's got back up he's gone again Mm -hmm. um so he really knows his stuff he really knows his products he does he helps me with he helps me you know keep a tight rein on the products that we're making make sure quality is really good yeah um he produces little and often along he sort of meets our needs with that which benefits both of us um it's just so helpful to know that i could get if I wanted, I could get five of something and that's okay. Yeah. I, and he's okay with that. And there's always something lined up ready for him to start, but it's not, it's never massively urgent. So it's not like he's got to produce a huge collection for us really quickly, which is what happens to a lot of factories. And then they have really quiet periods. It's like, there's something else coming through in a week. There'll be something else the next week. It's good for me, for my cash flow. It's good for him and his cash flow. Um, we've like sort of, steadied out on this working relationship Mm. which took us a while to establish um and yeah and and we 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 both understand how we work now um and it's nice getting to that point of trust both ways and um your quality and sort of uh, yeah just developing that relationship really i also work with factory in bethnal green um and i used to have a studio next to them when they were starting out and they've grown astronomically over the past year year and a half and they're amazing they produce my trousers and I'm keeping my trousers with them because they do such a beautiful job of making them they're integral to the development of them Mm -hmm. they kind of help me finalize finishing details and what they do is so good they're a committed London living wage factory um they also invest in training and um, I don't know, they're, they're really pumping new life and new energy. Uh, and they're so local, they're around the corner, so the trousers made there. And the rest of the collection is made with Jonathan. And he is, in talking about wages, he is between, um, he pays his stuff between minimum wage and £20 an hour. And that is based on skill and experience. So these are, yeah, it, it comes at a cost. I mean, paying a good wage to someone to make something in London... The cost of that is probably about the cost of a top on top on you know in Topshop or on the high street. Yeah. Um, that's just the making cost. That's what it pays someone. What you've got to pay someone to make it, let alone the fabric, the trims, shipping, then any margin that I want to make <laughs> to keep myself going <laughs> in the business. Um, so yeah, like I make it's, it's it's quite interesting when you when you break down the making cost. We're going to do that a lot more on our website. Be really transparent. Um, because we're not, we have not got huge profit margins. We're making just about enough for what we need to, you know, keep going. Yeah. And want to grow the business to a good point where, uh, yeah, we can healthily sustain ourselves without huge. I don't want to grow massively um, and uh, make loads of clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not not the goal. For no, you. no. <laughs> um, I always think that if someone had made a garment themselves they would under- they would want to be paid that as well like they would understand oh why God, they cost so, so much true. yeah like yeah. When, and you probably found this at uni as well like you could spend whole weeks in uni making something and you like you could have just not got out of bed on monday morning you're that far like you know things have gone wrong or things yeah. have taken you a lot longer and it's ended up taking you a lot longer than you thought that you kind of lost a whole week of um yeah time making things so yeah i always think that if people had that more connection to how things are made and how long it actually takes yeah and like the skill of making a shirt they would understand yeah why shirts should not be 10 pounds exactly and that's why it's re- i really like teaching as because they the, the the ladies that come and the guys that come on the course just really appreciate how much goes into it and they they love the process as well but it's so long and complex and if it takes a beginner two days to learn like and and we're paying you know you think about the prices we pay on high street it's like it it doesn't make sense (laughs) it doesn't quite add up No, it definitely something doesn't add up somewhere, does it? Yeah. So um, you teach workshops in your studio. Yeah. Um, you're letting me teach a workshop there today. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, what kind of workshops do you do? So you do the overshirts. Yeah, so we do, so I, so, so having sort of developed the brand as a shirts brand, we do do other garments, mm-hmm. I do sell other garments now, but so the shirt making is what I 
learned and did a lot of when I was developing the brand, made a lot of shirts to trial and test. Um, and I just really got to know it by the back, like the back of my hand. Um, so I now share those skills. So I teach the overshirt workshop, um, which is really popular. And then the classic shirt workshop as well, both really popular. Overshirt's probably, you know, our best selling one. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. People, yeah, they bring along their fabric and that's it. We we all sit down, we choose us, choose your sizes, um, spend the weekend making. Um, and everyone's always really happy and appreciative by the Sunday night and just amazed that they've managed to make it. Um, and then I've got the worker trouser workshop as well going. And we, I haven't done that one yet, but they first class is sold out that's in november second class be january and that'll be the same thing and then also our little round neck one so there's a few things but we also like to get people into the space to teach their own workshops as well um so i've got a street facing studio right next to the shop and i just feel selfish having that as my studio (laughs) so i like i want to get people in to learn like yeah, yeah let's share it this is a little space to learn and create um so yeah it's a, it's a lovely place to be and yeah so we've got a few different um makers and designers coming in to teach their thing as well which is nice yeah that's really exciting so when people come in for the weekend and they're with you for the whole weekend making the shirt what do you think people find the most challenging and what do they find the most rewarding out of that experience um so the challenging thing i think so with shirt making, you're thinking in terms of millimeters what, throughout the making. So you're a, a lot of what we do is um, looking at seam allowances and um, most garments will have one centimeter. We're working with all sorts. So 0.5, 0.7, 1.5. Then we've got um, one mil top stitching. So we've got like people are really good have a really sharp eye and i think that's that's a big challenge that i think that seems to be the big challenge everyone has is so once you break down the whole process it's fairly easy step by step mm. but you it's got to be so precise like and that's yeah and we take it at slow pace people manage to get it but um yeah it's having that eye to differentiate one millimeter from two millimeters and then like do the whole task at the one millimeter sort of um measurement um so that's that's probably the most challenging thing and then the most rewarding i think purely fact that they're they're making um and they've got that day or that weekend to themselves that they have chosen to invest in that weekend um it's pretty tiring it takes up yeah it's two full days they are there for them mm-hmm. and maybe their kids are somewhere else or maybe you know they've, they've blocked down their calendar and it's that's what's really nice to see people taking time for them yeah. to learn and treat themselves and then come away at the end with a really nice show when they all put them on at the end and that's that's nice to see yeah <laughs> yeah because the whole weekend is quite a sacrifice isn't it, it especially is, if you yeah. work full time exactly yeah because it's sunday night I'm knackered, they're knackered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're going to work the next day. Yeah, definitely. So um, you spoke a little bit about the future and not wanting to just add more to the mm. future. Like that's not within your um, growth plans. Yeah. So I was wondering what the future does hold for Henry London. Yeah, so we will add a bit more. <laughs> a little bit more. Um we are gonna we're, we're just about to expand our fiber range from organic cotton to also include wool um so that's a quite interesting journey um and it's completely new technical challenge um having not yeah worked with wool before um but i think filling in those gaps for what we don't offer already so Jersey is a fabric that I haven't offered before and we're about to bring out um, some Jersey Basics. Um, That's a real challenge, trying to get Jersey Basics down to a price that's, you know, manageable 
with the way that we're going to make making London with um, mm. living wages is like that's that's a real challenge. Um, but I want to yeah fill in those gaps because I suppose it's working along with what I'm missing in my wardrobe selfishly enough. But because <laughs> I've got that's where I get my inspiration from. It's like oh if only I had this oh like nice yeah. thing that I could wear now that would also be suitable for this and. Um, yeah, just a couple of extra fillers. I, I think some more elegant pieces like dresses would be lovely to do. We did do your first dress this summer. Um, but expand the range a bit more so that if you're going to a wedding, perhaps you could also shop with us. And if you're going away to a cold country, you could also shop with us. And and, and trying to fill in those gaps. Um, I don't know in terms of yeah how how long we'll be here on the Hackney Road it's our home for the brand at the moment it's really hard to to see quite far down the line because every decision I've made so far has chopped and changed pretty quickly mm. and I haven't really had I suppose my vision from the start was to have a combined shop studio and I thought that was the absolute genius I've kind of got that now it's everything's <laughs> next door yeah. so that's pretty <laughs> nice between. And even this time a year ago, I was like, I just would love my own studio. To, so now to have my own studio, it's, it, you can forget how much you've, you have grown and, and yeah. you can forget what you were desperate for. And then having had it a few months, you're like, oh, this, this isn't big enough. <laughs> you're like, oh, hang on, this is brilliant. <laughs> um, so I don't have some big, bold vision, actually. I'm quite, I'm sort of like, dealing with the now and the present and see what opportunities come up see see where it goes what we would like to do is expand our sales online um as that's an easy way to grow without having to get a bigger shop yeah um so navigate the online world mm -hmm. a little bit better um and we we are developing a new website so that should help us to um make our website a little bit more user-friendly yeah um so, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> do you currently ship, um, obviously you sell via your website, do you currently ship to the UK or do you ship out like to Europe? And the yeah, so we ship worldwide. Um, most of our customers are UK based. The majority of them are in London, actually. And we ship everywhere. We have customers, quite a few in America, um european customers um yeah all over the place <laughs> cool so um to wrap up i wanted to ask you if you've seen or read anything recently that's left you feeling positive and uplifted about the future um yeah so uh about two weeks ago i hosted a panel discussion um and we had Han from Black Horse Lane um, speak on the panel. We also had Diana, the founder of our trouser factory. And we also have Meryl, who has developed a wind knitting machine, which is amazing. Wow. It knits a scarf and it's powered by wind and it stands on its own, does it on its, on its own. It's amazing. That's it's basically crazy. a turbine that knits. It's really cool. Oh, I need to see <laughs> this. Yeah. Um, but so... Han, who runs Black Horse Lane and has worked in London manufacturing for decades, he was telling us, oh, we were talking about London manufacturing, you know, the price issue, not that that's a huge issue, but consumers have to acknowledge that things are more expensive, mm -hmm. um, about the future of the industry, where it's going. And he told us about this thing called progressive beer duty. And this is a tax relief for small breweries. Um, so if you think about the rise of craft beer in the last few years, that's mm -hmm. not an accident. It's a trend, but it's not an accident. That is because um, they literally just pay less tax and they, they can reinvest that money into their businesses. And this was, this is, this, I, I believe, I this is what he said. One of the MPs at the time who really fought for this was Boris Johnson. And it's quite okay. unbelievable that, that I mean, I mean, it just blows my mind that 
craft beer gets a tax relief yeah great for them that's fantastic what about uk manufacturing it's amazing what the government can do when it wants to yeah and if the government could support british manufacturers which i presume is what must be one of the only positives to come out of brexit is perhaps people will make more here um if they want to support that they can very easily lift the duty on on man- small or and big manufacturers here and and help factories to to grow their businesses and to reinvest in themselves and in their machinery and in their staff and and make british manufacturing um you know a really great option it already, it already is a great option mm. but it's not the easiest one yeah um so that's a little yeah i mean that's really cool to know that that kind of thing can actually happen <laughs> is a potential yeah yeah <laughs> so that that genuinely was um yeah really uplifting sort of thing to find out like that 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 could be the future yeah. of, of british manufacturing yeah you just need boris to really yeah. need some organic cotton shirts <laughs> don't you yeah <laughs> and uh, i've actually just thought of one more question yeah if you don't mind we go for it um i was wondering if you have any tips for someone who might be in a similar position to you were when you were starting out mm. they want to start a um fashion brand or a clothing brand and um with the sustainable element to it as well um, I think uh, what's really helpful is to define your product really carefully. So work out exactly what it is that you're doing. Why? I mean, I suppose that's that's in, in developing a business anyway. That's really important. Being very very clear cut. I think in terms of sustainability, perhaps think about um, narrowing down your variations so say with materials maybe use one fiber one material and become really knowledgeable on that one thing rather than trying to be sustainable very broadly choose something quite specific and really know your stuff on that one thing and go for it with that and and research and visit your suppliers and go to town with what you can offer in a really positive way from say linen or from hemp or like just yeah i don't know i think be think so in in such a small i don't know just just really narrow down and hone down your Mm -hmm. your idea that makes sense yeah um and make a really small quantity to begin with start small and yeah you can always grow yeah from there Yeah. yeah Cool. That's yeah. really good advice. <laughs> um, so where can people find Henry London? How can they find out more about you? People can find us in our shop, on our studio, on the Hackney Road. And everyone's always welcome to knock on the door, come visit. Um, and also on Instagram, we are Henry underscore London. That's Henry with an I or um, Henry.London online. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us more about you and your business. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and share the episode or leave us a review to help other people find my podcast. You can also find out more about Agnes London at agneslondon.com or on social media, just at Agnes London. Thank you. See you next week.